actor Brad Renfro came from a Knoxville, Tennessee trailer park to become one of the most sought-after talents in Hollywood. Known for his tough, gritty demeanor and solid screen presence, Brad was at the top of his game until his addictions slowly chipped at a once-promising movie career and eventually killed him at the age of 25. This week on Death and Entertainment. From Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury, and death. Oh my God! Shocking new details that has stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. <gasps> what do you call this thing anyway? Death in entertainment. Deados of the world. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Dead Tober. How are you? How are you? How you doing? I'm what good. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, wait, you're talking to them. Yeah. I'm Kyle Plouffe. I'm Mark Mulcairin. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. And we are going right into episode 102, discussing the short life of Mr. Brad Renfro. Yes, unfortunately. You know, uh, he had a good career, but it was cut short, sadly. Oh, boy. Spanned about 13 years, right? Yeah, he um, he started young. He started very young, um, and unfortunately, he didn't make it to real adulthood. Oof, sadly, dang. Yeah, that's what uh, that's the breaks, though, huh? That's Hollywood for you. That's right. Yeah. And after this episode, we're all going to be real Brad Renthologists. Okay. 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 All, all right. right. Well, yeah. we'll check the math on that, and we'll get back to you. Um, but first, but first, we go to January fifteenth, two thousand eight. Alejandro, can you help me out with the top three movies at this time, please? Yes. Number three, Cloverfield. J.J. Mm. Abrams. Not to be confused with Cleavage Field, the hit Cinemax, Skinemax Oh, that's what drama. I was thinking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. That was Wait, was that three? Cleavage Field? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was on a lot along with The Witches of Breastwick. Yeah. Yes. Gotta love it. And uh, Saving Ryan's Privates. Yes, that's another <laughs> one for sure. Yeah, that's more from Renfro's time. Oh, yes, for Brian Singer. We'll get into that later. Anyway, oh, boy. Number two, number two. National Treasure, Book of Secrets. Not to be confused with the shitty first movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was when they stopped putting number two on a lot of sequels. Yeah. And they just have colon, something yeah. exciting. Yeah. And you lose track of what number it is. Like, wait a second. I don't, do I hate this movie? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Am I seeing it for the first time? Is yeah. It, you know. No relation to Secret the Book. This is Book of Secrets. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. The Secret was big around this time. It was huge. Everyone's saying, you know, Oprah knew about it. Tesla knew about it. Einstein knew about it. And you should know about it. Yeah. Not to be confused with National Booty Treasure, which is a uh, porn movie. That is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Or Cock of Secrets. Ah, there we go. But the secret, <laughs> remind me, that's where you envision success and then it happens. Yes. Yeah. Which is bullshit. I think even the author agrees it's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. You got, it's all about... Uh, the author visual. agrees? Yeah. Did the author write a whole book, how it's not bullshit? Yeah, but every author that writes stuff like that is a scam. Like that guy that went on Oprah and he said a million little pieces. Oh, that, yeah. That guy, the James <laughs> Frey, whatever. He's a liar, too. Yeah. They're all James, liars. James Fry. Marie Kondo, he said, she said it's not good to have your place organized. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, no one agrees with what they're writing. 
And yeah. speaking of Oprah, that's such a great clip where she's confronting James Fry about the lies. Yeah. She says, James, tell me she really hung herself. And he's like, well, I embellished a little bit. And then yeah. Oprah goes, no! <laughs> oh! That's a lie, James. Oprah brings uh, subjects us to the biggest grifters this country's ever seen in our lives. <laughs> Dr. Phil, uh, like Dr. Frank, Oz. Dr. Oz, yeah. <laughs> Open this book under your seats. You get a lie. You yeah. get a lie. You get a lie. And there's a new guy out right now. There's like a he's like a former like uh, like uh, millionaire executive or something that says you shouldn't be depressed. You know, oh, you should yeah. be happy with your miserable life. Yeah. You piece of shit. Why aren't you happy, assholes? And this is like the new guy she's pushing perfect new loser just dropped well, there's, <laughs> there's some truth to that right if you're depressed why not just be yeah happy? but i don't want to pay this guy 40 bucks for some horseshit book yeah. to tell me that i should be happy driving uber yeah <laughs> you know well let's not get hysterical no one should be happy driving uber. no let's not get personal either i don't drive uber but you know i aspire to mad know. respect that's my five-year plan to drive for uber <laughs> you'll get there <laughs> yeah thanks that's my three-month plan <laughs> number one movie right okay now. number one juno yeah with uh elliot page yes juno that this was number one nice this week a very pregnant Elliot Page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess she really got pregnant for that. Or he did now. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble here. <laughs> Cancel. Never mind. Delete that. <laughs> Edit <it> out. <laughs> and the movie had a lot of hip lingo. Like, yo, what's up, saddle brain? Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on with music right now, Kyle? Music on the Billboard charts. Number three, we have Apologize by Timberland. Is that the... And Justin Timberlake. Uh, is that with Kid Timberlake, too? Okay, there's too much... Too too much timber in that movie. Too many... Or or song. Yeah. Is it Timberland or Timberland? That is the question. Yeah. (laughs) The age-old question. Let us know (laughs) in the comments section. Yeah. Number two, Alicia Keys, No One. No one remembers this song. Hello. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> and Flo Rida with the number one song, Low. Should've got low, 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 low. Not so low on the charts, though. Hello. Hello. Hi. I heard T-Pain on the uh, Steve-O podcast, name drop. Um, I saw him talking about how he lost all of his money. From that song alone, he had like four number one hits at the same time, and he just blew through all of his money within like a couple of years. Damn. Yeah. That sucks. Happens. So he was not following the secret. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the secret was <laughs> don't uh, have a backup plan or something. I don't yeah. Know. All right. Following the song title, keep your bank account low. Yes. And he did. Okay. Um, I have a couple more factoids about this time. Uh, we're, January 15th is National Hat Day. Okay. I don't know if anyone knew that. Yeah. That'll work out for T-Pain, obviously. He's well known for his top hat. I celebrate it every year. You do? Okay. (laughs) Celebrate it every day. I got my hat on right now. You put the decorations out. It's just all hats on the wall and stuff. (laughs) Well, it's just ornament. Tiny little hats hanging off my hat. hat. (laughs) Well, this is because in 1797, the first top hat was worn by John Etherington in London, England. Wow. As Juno would say, that's totally coolio. Yes. You really really pushing that um <laughs> it's very english though to think like like no one else wore a hat ever in the world 
<laughs> besides this fucking asshole in in 1797 give me a break wow this is part of my five minutes i'm i'm working out mm-hmm. um first super bowl was played 1967 on january 15th also wow um, and who won that super bowl i don't even know good question was it the green bay yes oh was it i didn't know lombardi trophy you know all that good stuff all right oh. um well before we get into this episode i wanted to give a big shout out to Deto danny traeger for Ooh. helping me actually research a lot of this episode there we go uh, Thank you. not only suggesting it but actually giving me articles and giving me some background oh on, wow on, on mr renfro and actually how this went down very very helpful stuff thank you danny thank you danny shout out uh she's a huge Zeto fan so hell yeah she's out there in australia she's out there in aussie land hanging out so good day good day mate put another oh, yeah. shrimp on the bobby okay <laughs> hope you have a sleep <laughs> we don't want to lose her yeah, well she clearly she already has a pretty twisted sense of humor yeah <laughs> Okay, early life stuff. Uh, Brad was born on July 25th, 1982 in Knoxville, Tennessee. The son of Angela Denise Olson, not no relation to the Olsen twins, um, <laughs> and Mark Renfro, um, is a relation to, to Brad Renfro. Um, and no relation to you. <laughs> no relation to me, Mark. <laughs> no relation to Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> <laughs> he is not a Ruffalo soldier, yeah, but I am. Yeah, we don't want to Ruffalo any feathers. Woo! Okay, that one that one hit with me. I like it. Um, his dad was a factory worker, not in the picture, really. Not uh, no, he was in the factory. Papa was yeah. <laughs> he was busy working uh, on the picture. The kid stays in the factory, not the picture. <laughs> um, he was um, so he, dad was not was not really around. Papa was a Rolling Stone, yada yada yada. So in the die world, this is a tale as old as time. I know a with lot of dad being a deadbeat. A lot of father figures not around, mm. and you know the people, whoever they may be, um, decide to act out because they didn't have that father figure present. Um, I'm not saying anything about, you know, you know, family, nuclear families or anything, but it just seems to be a constant. Um, Brad was raised from the age of five by his paternal grandmother, Joanne Renfro. She was a church secretary um, after the parents divorced. So, so the, the mom was out of the picture too. The mom was out of the picture too. The, the mom moved to like Michigan. And Brad uh, st- uh, went to Knoxville and to be raised on a in a trailer park by his grandmother, which is interesting. Like, why would the mom just leave? I think she just decided to. And I think there's something that, you know, that weighed on him his entire life. Yeah, but, they abandoned him, essentially. Yeah, very much so. And Brad was actually uh, born. He would tell people he's born ad- addicted to heroin. So his mom, I think, had a very severe drug problem. Uh, enough so that she actually, you know, went through a full, you know, pregnancy addicted to heroin and just kept doing it. Just awful. Damn. That is so awful. Like at that point, like, you know, you're already doomed as a kid. Mm-hmm. If that happens. Yeah. yeah. If you're born addicted to heroin. Yeah. Like, gee, thanks, mom. I know. Um, but yeah, you know, he grew out of that situation and I don't know, he was a very troubled kid. Like, you know, he, he was very charismatic and, you know, and 
fun-loving and people, you know, he loved people, but he just had this streak in him that he just liked breaking the rules. He just liked breaking the law and just doing wild shit. But on top of that, he like he was endearing to a lot of adults and stuff. Um, he was never really like an actor. He had no formal training at all. He barely even showed up to school, like even as like an 11, 12-year-old. Um, the way he was discovered and how everyone knows him, uh, basically, is Joel Schumacher was trying to cast a perfect role for the character Mark Sway in the movie The Client in 1994. And this is something they would do in the 90s. They They would just, you know, do big cattle calls and like, very middle America towns. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the movie Election. Um, during yeah, uh, Alexander Payne. Alexander Payne did one of those in Oman, Nebraska, and actually found Chris Klein. Oh who, wow! Who was like not even a an actor before really either. He was yeah. just some kid that was in high school. Pulled him right out of the chicken coop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> he still had hay on him. Yeah, I can't believe Joel Schumacher is the one behind the client. He had like all these gritty movies. You got, you got the client. You got uh, was he did falling down too, right? Mm-hmm. And then you just get the worst Batman movies of all time. I know he, he so cartoonish. Those psychological thrillers. He basically the John Grissom books are really what made him, uh, in my mind, like the stuff he did in the eighties. I don't really, I don't really. Get well, he it, did the Lost Boys. Yeah, I I was watching that the other night. I do like that movie, but it's kind of ridiculous. He could have beat Nolan to the punch, being the first guy that made like the actual like grittiest. Uh, superhero movies. Yeah, he should have got Brad Renfro. Yeah, <laughs> he did do a good Batman, Batman Forever. It's still, I mean, I love. Now it you're was, turning your back on it. When I was a kid, I loved it, but now it's like it's too cartoonish. It, yeah, it's uh, campy. It's kind of cheesy. Yeah, yeah. It's, Tommy Lee Jones is frightening. It's re- he's ridiculous. He's so over the top. It's like what is going on here as yeah. Two Face? It's an hour and a half of him going. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you look at him even in the background when he's not in the the focus of the scene. He's just like going crazy. <laughs> yeah, and that's the funniest part about him telling Jim Carrey, I cannot sanction your buffoon. Yes. Because he's a buffoon in that movie. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Natural Born Killers, he's a crazy buffoon also who's really <laughs> over the top. Yeah. He went through a weird phase. Uh, of buffoonery. Jones. Of buffoonery. And I can't, <laughs> I can't stand for it. Yeah. Um, so Brad auditions with 5,000 other kids in the Knoxville area trying to get this role. It's kind of like the Lilo Broncado story for a Bronx Tale, remember? Mm-hmm. Similar sad story, kind of like Chris Klein, Lilo Broncado, um, and Brad Renfro. When you pull these kids kind of out of obscurity, it's kind of, I don't know, there's something happens to them. It's just like, it's not an ideal existence. Chris Klein is going, whoa, don't lump me. I know, yeah, he's probably listening to this. Yeah. He's like, what the fuck? I'm still alive and I didn't murder Well, he had I'm- some DUIs. He had some issues with Katie Holmes, you know. He had some problems. He wasn't without problems. So Coming soon to death of a career. Yeah. <laughs> Our new series. Exactly. Um, it was actually the one person that was pushing for uh, Brad Renfro to get this role as Mark Sway. It was actually a Knoxville Police Department dare officer named Dennis Bowman, who was actually the one who found Brad. And like basically what Joel Schumacher and all these casting directors did in, is like reach out to all, you know, police departments, pastors, anyone they knew that had access to kids, which sounds bad. But uh, but anyone you got any kids? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> is this Brad Renfro's first actual time being documented, being able to be charmful to a person he knew 
had a suitcase full of drugs in the same room as him. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe he was like, you know, giving him like the song and dance while he like behind him he was stealing all the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how this Dennis Bowman guy, he actually uses real hardcore drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I don't fake it, okay? He's method when it comes to doing dare officing. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's actually a good time to check out the clip we have of Brad Renfro being interviewed while promoting the client because they talk about this D.A.R.E. program. I read that it was a policeman who actually uh, suggested you for the audition. How did you know the policeman? Had you been in trouble or something? No, he was uh, my D.A.R.E. teacher, you know, to keep kids off drugs and stuff. Oh, so it was a preventive thing. Mm-hmm. You weren't there because you used drugs. Or it was, you know, they come this sounds like a police question and also. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an interrogation. You wearing a wire. <laughs> Nothing serious, you know. Cuposit. You know, drugs are really stupid. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. He just said that he experimented with it before. Yeah. yeah. This is a 12-year-old. Yeah. I know. That's very disturbing. Well, I, I'm going to go into that in one second. Because, you know, you can have an, a bad addiction and not even know. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm close to a lot of people like that. And, you know, they're still, you know, my, you know, my loved ones. But, you know, they're stupid. <laughs> like I was saying, he's kind of a wayward kid even before he got this movie. Um I guess he smoked pot for the first time when he was nine years old. He first got drunk at 11 years old. He was expelled from school after he lit up a joint in front of the a school official. Um, I think it was, that was at 12. Also at 12, he starts using heroin, and then he starts having sex at age 13. Jeez. Yeah, so he... he hit the ground running you know yeah, <laughs> as a kid trying to be an adult way too early yeah i guess he started dating like older women when he was like a 13 year old and some would say it was a replacement for his this missed mother figure who was never around that happened to edward furlong too really yeah he was uh like 14 years old and his uh the studio or his family hired um a tutor for him like a, a personal assistant slash tutor and she was like 27 28 29 and she was uh, having sex with him instead Jeez. of teaching him everything he needed to do. Oh, my. I yeah. mean, some would say high five. Some would say that's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> um, depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. <laughs> depends what state you're in. Yeah. You know what I didn't know about the client? It was between him uh, and Macaulay Culkin. Wow. Macaulay Culkin could have... There's no way he could have pulled off that character. Yeah, the guy commits suicide at the beginning, and he's just like... <laughs> he's setting traps for the new orleans mob and stuff. yeah the guy at the beginning wasn't even trying to commit suicide <laughs> yeah. he just made him step in paint cans yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, he sets up a bunch of traps yeah. on, that, on that hill where the guy shoots himself. <laughs> the Godfather steps on a nail. <laughs> oh, boy! <laughs> Kill that kid! <laughs> and Tommy Lee Jones is going, freaking fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he just wants to go back to Two-Face. <laughs> yeah. Or emulate the Home Alone success with a Pesci impression. Yeah. yeah. I don't. The movie's great. I don't know if you ever saw The Client, but basically Joel Schumacher's experiment or his big bet of getting this unknown kid pays off big time because the movie's amazing. Agreed. I love that movie. Yeah. So good. Anyone who doesn't know, it's about a young kid who witnesses a judge committing suicide. And before the judge commits suicide, he confesses to knowing a lot of the secrets of the New Orleans mob. And the New Orleans mob wants to kill him while the... Tommy Lee Jones plays a, a federal prosecutor who wants his kid to basically dime on them on the stand. Um, and it's not a good idea for the kid. And so he gets Susan Sarandon as a lawyer in order to represent him. And she becomes a mother figure to him. Kind of also. Yeah. And I think that's what I hear about Brad. Like he would be on set and like kind of rely on a lot of the crew and people around him to like be his parental kind of figures, which is no, not good. You know? Yeah. Cause if you're like a, you know, um, a district basic crew guy on a set like this, you don't want to have to like, you know, you know, deal with a kid all day. Cause your job's hard enough. You know, if you're like, uh, a, what do they call those? Like a, like a rigger or something, or, you know, anyone who's like just basically lugging equipment back and forth. You don't want to have to care for this kid also. Yeah. Yeah, and back to the movie itself. This is the third in a line of three great Grishams. Yeah, was it the the firm? The firm, and then the Pelican Brief. The Pelican Brief is amazing, and also. then the client. Yeah, I mean that was pretty amazing. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, like because Grisham just he knew how to make a solid, entertaining story. Yeah, and then if they adapted right, they were extremely entertaining movies yeah I, there's something there's very specific type of cinematography schumacher seems to use i don't know that much about that but it just seems like a similar kind of look they all have yeah yeah and it's all like some it's all southern people you know mm-hmm. it's always very like over the top tennessee williams type yeah. of southern people i do declare yeah <laughs> i object your owner because this is my client <laughs> the boy was witness to a murder yeah <laughs> and he went on to do a time to kill schumacher yeah yeah, that one too. Also I hope great. he rotten hell. I hope they burn <laughs> hell. Yeah, he's always had yeah those big loud speeches or something where the camera just comes in really close. On yeah. Him. Brad goes on to do after that. He's kind of like he could do whatever he wants. He goes on to do a movie called The Cure, which I never heard by her was good. I saw that movie. Not good at the time. Yeah, not based on the band. No relation to the band. No, it's fine. He befriends a kid that's dying of AIDS. Oh, God, I didn't know And that. it's like their wild summer together. Yeah. And that's basically the premise. Kind of depressing. Well, then he does Tom and Huck, which is also a, a buddy, not comedy, <laughs> but a buddy movie kind of. Yeah. He does Sleepers, which I- Oh, my God. If you haven't seen that, that's a, that could be kind of- not brutal, but kind of, you know, hard to watch at times. Pretty brutal. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin Bacon always plays a great scumbag maniac. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, in Tom and Huck, that features other die subject, Charles Rocket. Oh, really? As Becky Thatcher's dad, the judge. Wow. In what? In Tom and Huck. Oh, really? 
And I heard that production designer Gemma Jackson told BuzzFeed News that Brad Renfro, who was 12 at the time, had a much, much older girlfriend during filming. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Um, he did Renfro and Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Yeah. 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 And then I see here that Schumacher actually said after working with him, I often get nervous thinking that I have probably changed Brad's life irrevocably. I hope I've changed his life for the better, but you never know. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, the, it's interesting. The movie Sleepers he does, it's about kids who go to prison and get molested and even worse, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which brings him to his next project is App Pupil mm. with much shitlisted uh, Brian Singer as yeah. a director. Yeah, this was his follow-up to The Usual Suspects. Yeah. So it was very anticipated. Yeah. The film is based on a Stephen King story about a kid in Southern California who discovers his neighbor is a former Nazi war criminal. So the kid, uh, who's played by Brad Renfro, threatens to tell people about him, basically. I don't know even know who you would tell. Like, do you call <laughs> a local cop? Like, hey, that guy's a Nazi. Yeah. Uh, but he threatens to tell on him unless he details and learn detail about the World War II atrocities that he committed. So that's what App's pupil is about. Yeah, he basically is blackmailing him for information Yeah. on what that experience was like being a Nazi war criminal. And what? it's Ian McKellen. That. Ian McKellen plays the Nazi. Like the yeah. nicest guy in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, he really lobbied for this role. Yeah, this yeah. insane Nazi who gets like reawoken and yeah. ends up, you know, trying to put a cat in the oven and puts I, his uh, war uniform back on and everything. I heard he, in order to get the role, he walked around Warner Brothers in a Nazi uniform just to show <laughs> that he could do it. Like Sean Young. Like did Sean Young. Unrela- <laughs> no, that was just unrelated. That, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's a movie that's coming up with? <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I can be, I Whatever can be you say, mind Fury. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, why I'm here with the Nazi. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> An apt pupil comes from that same book of short stories where the body was in, which became Stand By Me. Yeah. And the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Called Different Seasons, the collection. Mm. Well, I read this March 2019 Atlantic article. They did an entire piece on all the allegations against director Brian Singer over the years. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, And a lot of it involved underage boys during Brian's Hollywood career. Sounds like Brian Singer. Yes, it's it's very damning, the entire thing. He refutes, like, every single thing in it. Um, of course he does. But Br- Brad Renfro is mentioned a lot in it. Wow. Um, yeah, because during the time of this app pupil, Brad was hanging out with Brian a lot. And, and some would say, that through two sources, so, two people said that Brad Renfro was Brian's boyfriend. Oh, God. no. I don't know exactly how accurate that is. You know, some of these sources, I, I, I can't confirm the validity. Um, and he was 14 at the time of filming. Yeah. 14. Yeah, he was 14 years old. That's just pedophilia. That's not a relationship. Yeah. Let's, we're not saying that. Other people were saying that. Yeah. And you know what else is odd about it is usually in Hollywood, when you're working with kids, teenagers, they tend to cast an older actor to play younger. Mm. Yeah. And in this case, Brad Renfro plays an older teenager. Yeah. He plays like a 16, 17-year-old when he was only 14. So that's very weird to me. Yeah. 
Well, there's a lot of scenes in this uh, movie, which, you know, in retrospect, you could kind of see where there was some problematic things going on. There's one specific one where uh, Brad's character is taking a shower in the gym, which is supposed to like mimic uh, the, the showers, I think, in like the during the Holocaust. So in the movie, it's supposed to be like you're supposed to see this as kind of like, you know, through the lens of like a Holocaust survivor or something. Mm. Um, and during this scene, though, um, there's been a lot of allegations from a lot of the kids that were involved in it. One particular boy, this kid named Victor Valdavinos, he was a seventh grader who got cast in uh, to play one of the kids in the showers. He was a student at this Elliott Middle School in Altadena, California, where they shot the movie. Um, late one afternoon after basketball practice, he said he stopped in an empty restroom while standing at a urinal. He says he felt a presence behind him. He turned around and saw a guy wearing glasses in his early thirties. It was ever acted before. It was Brian. Hmm. He said, Brian looked him over and says, you're so good looking. What are you doing tomorrow? Maybe I could have somebody contact you about putting you in this movie. What the fuck? So he just confronts the kid in a bathroom while he's taking a piss? Yeah. I mean, I'd never go into a public bathroom ever again in my life if I was this kid. No. This scene would lead to a series of lawsuits against uh, Brian and the production. Uh, There's at least five plaintiffs, all minors between the ages of 14 and 17, who claim that members of the crew had bullied them into stripping naked for the shower scene. The boys and some of their parents said they had been aware of the job that there was like partial, like, you know, just no shirt on basically and a towel. Yeah. They had been okay with that, but but a lot of this crew were taking it further and they were bullying the kids to actually get fully naked. What the fuck? Yeah. How is that even allowed? That should not happen. I don't know. Well, this is I guess it's like the crazy swing in nineties where you can get away with shit on set. And I think these days it's a little more tight. And as I mentioned before, you could get 18 to 23 year olds and you know not, i don't know if, if they need to be naked but yeah. it's a hell of a lot better than working with actual minors well one crew member said it was a mistake and only the adults were supposed to be fully naked the adult what adult <laughs> the adult extras i don't know i i don't i don't understand okay, that at so all so some of them were over 18 yeah in the shower scene I that wouldn't make sense though, but maybe oh. there were some kids that were just eighteen. Uh, or did they mean the adults behind the scenes? Yeah, <laughs> only Brian Singer is supposed to have his pants off right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, that that same kid, um, one of them said, um, all of a sudden Brian comes in and he goes, "Hey, how are you?" Uh, and he took him to a secluded area for hours. Mm. He said Brian um, took him in the back and made small talk like. How you doing? Need anything? Every time he had a chance, uh, he would go back there and he would fondle the kid. Oh, my God. He would grab his genitals and start masturbating it. Uh, he, Real. He rubbed his front part on me, the kid said. Um, he did all this with a smile. Like, he would just keep saying, you're so good looking. I really want to work with you. I have a nice Ferrari, he was telling him. And this is all court deposition, so... You know, it, it it seems very accurate to me. What kid gives a shit about a Ferrari? Yeah. Well, the yeah, the kid was like 14 years old, but it's true that he did have a Ferrari, and a lot, it's been confirmed by other sources. So, And how are there just no... Nobody from the studio is keeping tabs on this guy when all these allegations keep coming out after every project he does? I don't know. Were they... 
were they coming out in like 97 at this Not time? at this time. I don't know about it at this time. They did eventually, yes. But I'm sure there were whispers around like, oh, where the fuck were they for a while? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, was he trying to grope Kevin Pollack on the set of Usual Suspects? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll have to look into that. <laughs> well, that's what the, that's a kid's allegations. Um, Him and Kevin Spacey were probably going at it. <laughs> that's true. That's, actually, that's why he had the limp. That's a good <laughs> reminder that Kevin Spacey. Jesus. Yeah, they worked together a lot. On, uh, he won usual, an Oscar. Usual Suspects. Yeah. yeah, won the Oscar for the Usual Suspects. He did, yeah. So they were probably up to no good. Yeah. Not not a lot of kids in that movie, though. Thank God. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there was no f- formal charges that were filed. And, you know, everyone claimed that nothing bad happened and... Brad didn't file any charges here either. Hmm. I don't know because he was pretty tight with Brian Singer. So some people said he was his boyfriend. You know, another person said this kid, Andy, that they use in the, the Atlantic piece just to like, you know, just in, because they didn't want to use his real name. Uh, he said that one night he would him and Brian were fooling around on a bed and Brad was there. Brad was there with no shirt on and he was just kind of going with the flow. As he said, and they were um, they were really going at it, and then Brad left before like before they started really having sex. But Brad was around like a lot of this stuff. And, he had to have been. And the kid Andy would say like, it seemed like Brad wanted to stay around them for the work, um, maybe because he thought he looked around at you know these b- big nice mansions and stuff in L.A. and thought you know th- this is who you have to be close with, and this is what you have to be exposed to as a kid. And Brad's like 16 years old, wow. 15 years old, 14 years old. He's, he's around all this kind of weird. Imagine being around all that. Jesus. Well, imagine when you're born, you're addicted to heroin. Yeah. Your parents ditch you. You're raised by your grandma and you're just dealing with chaos your entire young life. Yeah. And then I don't know if we emphasize enough that after the client, people were really impressed with his performance. Because Macaulay Culkin, he wouldn't have been able to do that authentic Southern accent. <laughs> no way. So people were like, this is a really promising young actor, like Lilo yeah. Brancato after a Bronx tale. Yeah. So by the time you get to this anticipated apt pupil movie, he's basically on a track to become a really huge star. Yeah. And all he knows is chaos in his life. So I don't know, this must have just felt like par for the course for him. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah, I don't know. Um that whole chapter is very weird. And, you know, what's his name? Brian Singer would go on to, you know, get a lot more jobs directed and stuff. And I think eventually around like 2017, 2018, a lot of stuff started coming out about him. Um, yeah, he was fired from Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Well, he directed, he was actually the replacement director for Bohemian Rhapsody. And he was fired like seven days before the film was over. So I think the studio knew more. They claimed it was because he was very difficult to work with. I think it was really because they knew about all this stuff was about to drop. Mm. Yeah. Um, That's fascinating to me as well that Bohemian Rhapsody went on to be nominated for Best Picture. Rami Malek won Best Actor. It made like $700 Yeah, It made a shitload of money. And yet no one could mention the name of the director because yeah. he's credited as the director. So yeah. the whole press tour, no one could mention that this movie had a director. Well, it's very strange because... Rarely do they put two directors' names for DGA purposes. I think they could only put one. That's why the Coen brothers 
actually have uh, one is the writer, one of the Joel is usually yeah, the yeah, brother that gets the credit. But the DGA really doesn't like doing that, and they did it in that case for Bohemian Rhapsody. So. Yeah, they left Brian with the full credit. Yeah, wow. I guess Brian seems to really like to do shower scene or like uh, Nazi Holocaust scenes because he did that in X Men also. Yep, and it really freaked a lot of people out because it was like the opening of the movie. I never watched any of them, but I just I just heard that. Yeah. And I see a couple rumors here that on Apt Pupil there were nude auditions. Really? Actors complained about what they were seeing on the set, a lot of the stuff that you just went into. Yeah. And that, um, oh, and then there's this one blind item about an incident where Brian Singer took Brad Renfro to a party, Mm -hmm. a big Hollywood party, and he was the only minor there. Really? And then Brian Singer plied him with booze. Yeah. And Brad Renfro got really fucked up and doesn't really remember what went on at that party. Imagine what went, what went on, though. I don't want to imagine. Jesus. I think we can guess. Yeah. Brian Singer has so many allegations against him now that you can't even keep track. No. Yeah. The only constant is that there was probably a hot tub and young boys involved. Yes. Yeah, there was this club named Den. In which uh, a lot of uh, Brian and his kind of cohorts would hang out at, and there was some, uh, there was another producer that he worked with that would kind of get all these young kids, and they would all get him for Brian because he was like the big talent or something, the big mm-hmm. movie director. So this guy through this kind of den, uh, you know, like uh, I think it was a gay club in West Hollywood, he would get all these younger, you know, underage kids, and then Brian would get them. Uh, and like fool around with them and then kind of like dish them out to other people and friends and stuff. Oh. He was kind of like trafficking young boys. Jeez. That's exactly what I heard yeah. about that. Because remember that movie, An Open Secret, the documentary? No. You no. saw that, yeah. right? Yeah, they sort of go into the Brian Singer stuff, but somehow Hollywood has protected this guy. Yeah. From actually being charged with anything ever. Well, he's really friends with a lot of the, the higher ups there. I remember there was a a thing they did for Billy Wilder in which all the like the current day directors like Rob Reiner, Spielberg and all them came to talk to Billy Wilder and Brian Singer was one of them. I'm like, is he really at this time in like the early two thousands like a legendary director? I don't think so. The usual suspects went a long way. I guess. And apt pupil, I guess. Not as much as usual. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't very well received, apt pupil. Um, yeah, I never even watched the whole thing, to be honest. It it, it looked intense, but I'm just like, I, I would have heard through word of mouth if it was really that good. I watched it recently. It's okay. Okay, yeah. But it's there's things to like about it, mainly because Stephen King wrote a really compelling story. Yeah. But yeah, it's not very good. And it received very mixed reviews and made no money. Oh, so I it was imagine. not what they wanted it to be. I mean, yeah. yeah, a lot of the stuff Brian Singer does with these kind of smaller budget movies, like, is it worth all this kind of heart egg and pain and and weirdness that he's putting off on these sets? It's like, like not to say it would be worth it if it made a billion dollars, yeah. but like what? What is, Bohemian Rhapsody? It was. It's basically just a uh, somewhere like a playground where he can kind of like diddle young boys. Or That's it. That's yeah. what it seems like with that pupil. Yeah. Maybe he had no intention, or maybe he didn't care if it succeeded. Yeah. It was just his playground. Yeah. And one quick thing: uh, the Den Outpost was in Encino. Not Encino. To, not to be confused with the Den on Sunset in West Hollywood, which. Brian Singer was not molesting young boys at because that's still open and 
It, good. Thank you for clarifying <laughs> that. We could have got sued to the <laughs> kingdom to the come to the guild. <laughs> and little Tony was just one of his friends. Yeah, not the Italian restaurant. Yeah, yes. in North Hollywood on Lakers. <laughs> with it look alike. Very tough bread. <laughs> <laughs> got tough bread. Yeah, speaking of tough, tough bread. How tough are you? Yeah. Tough as the bread of little Tony. <laughs> <laughs> they start promoting that. They, yeah. they, they like the tough bread. Um, David Schwimmer is an apt pupil as well. Is he? I've, wow. And he would go on to direct a movie called Trust about a girl being molested by an I older did guy. I that, yeah. He's, he gets into some weird stuff. Like, he, he wanted to be, like, a serious actor for a while there, I think. <laughs> But I think he's got all that friends money. It doesn't yeah. even matter. No, he makes twenty million a year for the rest of his life. So, yeah. for sitting on his ace, ace. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so Brad goes from one chaotic situation uh, to another. <laughs> In two thousand one, he does the movie called Bully. I don't know if anyone's heard this, but it was the director Larry Clark who did the movie Kids. I think it's a great, like, gritty, like, very hard to watch sometimes movie. Which one? Uh Bully. Bully. Yeah, kids also actually. Both of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Is Larry Clark giving you a peek into the secret world of what kids are up to? That's how he explained it. And that's the movie Kids. Yeah, yeah, kids and bully to and some bully extent. kind of also yeah. yeah, and like what they're really up to and like what is really going on with kind of some of the weird power dynamics and friends and people that just hang out when they're younger. And most importantly, when adults are not around. Yes, and I would say. Larry Clark comes off as a bigger, based on his movies, Larry Clark came, comes off as a bigger creep than uh, Brian Singer. But, uh, you, but there's no allegations <laughs> about him. But his move, the subject nature, he's like a 50-year-old guy making these like gritty teen comedies about sex and sometimes rape and like AIDS. And yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Have you seen that clip of him explaining this one controversial shot in Bully no. of Bijou Phillips? Well, I, I, I have a lot. I, this, this whole chunk right here is on Bijou. Okay, I'll just say this one thing to start off then. Okay. It's just a very intrusive shot a la Basic Instinct. Oh, And it yeah. rubbed a lot of critics the wrong way, and Larry Clark explained it away saying, well, Bijou showed up on set with no underwear, and I'm going to film that. Yeah. Jesus. Well, she... Is a piece of work. Not to say that that's her fault or anything, but yeah, uh, there's a lot of shit that went down on this set with Bijou Phillips. So the the movie stars Nick Stahl, uh, Bijou Phillips. Um, I think Macaulay Culkin's actually wife at the time, Rachel Minor. I think was actually in the movie also. Yeah, they got married when they were seventeen. Yeah, she was a minor too in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> just so happens, just not a catchy name. Um, but did not have a minor role. No, she had a big role. Which is very intense. The entire movie is intense. A lot of weird sexual dynamics going on in this. And yes, Bijou Phillips was very scantily clad. Um, the entire time. The entire time. And photographed the entire time, up close and personal. Yes. And yeah, you could see some anatomy, I think is what yeah. you're getting at. And same with Rachel Minor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the women are, you know... Some would say objectified. Um, yeah, I think. And then that, others would say also objectified. Yeah, I, I, no one comes out, uh, you know, skate unscathed in this entire movie, um, and nor did the actor Danny Franzis, who was in this movie. So Danny Franzis is was uh, the bigger guy that was in Mean Girls that played the friend. Too gay to function. Too gay to function. Yeah. 
Uh, the, that guy who was friends with Lizzie Kaplan is the other girl in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is actually his first movie. He does this movie called Bully. He, Just like Brad Renfro and others that we're hearing about, he was plucked from obscurity. Yeah, Larry Clark, I think, just saw him yeah. at a store or arcade and was like, oh, you look interesting. Yeah. So this guy comes to the movie thinking, you know, he's going to have a good time, good experience. It's going to be his first movie. Little does he know that Bijou Phillips is a monster. <laughs> She's a complete monster. Surprise. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Who, who knew coming from that family that she'd be a monster? Uh, oh, yeah. Do you want to set that up? What family is she from? She's from the Papa John Phillips family, who's from the Mamas and the Papas, like a big 60s folk band. Yeah. And the dad, Papa John, uh, he was really into his daughter, Mackenzie yeah. Phillips. And they had what what she described as like a 30-year like relationship. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I There's no other Toward affair. Yeah. yeah. Like very I, disturbing. It, the definition of incest. Yeah. And so this is the family from not which- Not Bijou, though. Not Bijou. Now, there's no reports of that. I think she was just too young. She has like a 35-year a age difference from the rest of her uh, brothers and sisters, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And at this time, she was Paris Hilton before Paris Hilton. She was constantly being filmed at Hollywood clubs. Yeah. She was a party girl. Yeah. She was a big time party girl. So this movie is based on a book, uh, Bully, in which it's based on a true story uh, which occurred in Florida in which a kid was kind of a real shitbag and his friend and some other people that were bullied by this kid all, you know, kill him. <laughs> and the the killing is, is extremely brutal. It kind of reminds me of like a more brutal alpha dog, mm-hmm. if you've seen that. Yep. So- Getting to Bijou Phillips and her being a monster. So November 2017, uh, Danny Francis comes out with a Facebook post that's documenting the barrage of homophobic and fat-shaming abuse he got by co-star Bijou Phillips on this film that was filmed in 2000. Um, Not only that, she also physically assaulted him during the shooting, too. Um, It started when they were shooting a poster for the movie where, where she would just yell, are you gay at him? So she'd do it like 30 times. And like, I'm wondering in my head, like not even giving her the benefit of the doubt. Like, is she like in character just being a shithead? No, (laughs) I don't think so because she's not a bully in the movie. She's not. She's just like some girl that's banging uh, Nick Stahl. Really? Yeah. She just gets naked a lot and helps kill someone. Yes. So that would not be in character. So she would, just bully this guy, Danny, over and over. So at some point it got so weird that Michael Pitt and Brad Renfro took her aside and just says, hey, can you shut up and just give this guy a break? Like when Michael Pitt and Brad Renfro, they're like the voices of reason, you must really be out of control. Um, it must have been vicious. She would constantly just say, are you gay? Are you gay? And at some point he just goes, I'm bi. And then the next day when he showed up in front of everyone and the director and the whole crew there, she would say, look, the bi guy's here. <laughs> the fuck? Boy, she's a real cut up. Yeah. <laughs> I know. She's not funny. <laughs> Good material. Yeah, Almost no. said the right word. Take that on the road and leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see what you did there, Kyle. Hello? Uh, they had to do a pool scene and everyone had to take their shirts off. And right away, she points at his belly and just goes, ew, gross. 
Like, Ugh. what a scumbag she is. Yeah, and he's supposed to be that way for the role, too. Yeah. An insecure guy, which is why he got involved in the whole incident. Yeah. So Brad Renfro would take him aside and just say, no, you're a great actor. You're a good guy. Don't listen to her. Yada, yada. And then I think Brad would fuck with her, too, because she was fucking with, with Danny and just say, can I get a real actress in here when she had, like, a bad take? Mm. Um, wow. She later said to Danny, you remind me of someone, and said it was Carney Wilson, who was in her sister's band, Wilson Phillips, <laughs> who, if you don't know, is just a very large woman that was in the band with two yeah. other very attractive girls in it. So, okay, it, that was kind of funny. She then laughed and then twisted his nipple through his shirt and then walked away. So okay, she, that's not funny. So she gave some fake apology in which she just made it even worse. <laughs> No, obviously that is because you know it was said in, with complete hatred. Yeah, it wasn't just a friend like you know being funny and teasing each other. I guess in another scene, she just kept rubbing her dirty feet on his neck. Yeah, and it and was, those feet have been places. Oh yeah, they've been places. <laughs> they got stories you could never <laughs> believe. Um, if and, these feet could talk. <laughs> <laughs> Give that'd him a be, breath, man. That'd be funny if the feet could start talking. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a movie. That's like a um, Charlie Kaufman movie. Yes. <laughs> so he tried to move his head away while she was, like, digging his her feet into his head, and she just kicked him as hard as she, she could in, in the head. Like, she, he thinks he got a concussion. He was just, like, dizzy for a while. She's, like, kicking this guy in the head. How did he even make it to Mean Girls? I would have quit the industry after I this. know. That's a really bad first movie experience. And I guess she helped finance the movie in the sense that Larry Clark was forced to cast her because she was the biggest name. Really? Yeah, because I see a quote here. He said, she was a club kid who was 15 years old out there in all the clubs, fucking everybody, producers that I know. All men and shit were fucking her. Everybody, he keeps going on. Oh my God. And fucking and fucking. And I just found it disgusting, man. And the first time I met her, she came to me in this club and sat down next to me, put her arm around me, took my cigarette out of my mouth and started smoking it. And she started talking to me, hugging me and kind of feeling me up. She hadn't acted, but that name, because she was in the paper every day for being a club kid and doing nothing, that name got us the money to get financed. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god. I did not know that. So she's a real scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> she is. And to today like a couple of years ago she gave a very lame apology after that Facebook post came out from Danny. And she gave like she's like I that the whole time in my life was just a total blur. I don't remember what happened, but it was also after her husband got arrested for rape. So I don't believe any apology she would ever give. She's a monster maniac. Oh yeah, do you want to update everybody on the latest with her um, and her husband? Y well, y yeah. Well, w like, what do you mean by that? Because we covered it lately. Oh in yeah, the Ashton Kutcher. Episodes. Well, I saw that when I was researching this. Like, that's perfect because she came up a lot. You know, in that she was married to Danny Masterson while he was raping girls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Almost a, an enabler. Probably an enabler. And But the only time she divorced him was after he got put in jail for, what was it, 30 years? Yeah. Yeah. And, and they made a big joke out of the whole thing because they thought Scientology was going to protect them. Yeah. That he would never actually get sentenced. And so there's a Twitter post you can see where... On the first day of the first trial, Danny Masterson posted a photo 
of her dropping him off at the courthouse. Yeah. And then he said, it's my first day of school and like, check out my beautiful Uber driver. And she's yeah. smiling. I mean, yeah. what does that tell you? Taking it very lightly. Yeah. I think those two are like the devil. I think they're they're really that evil. I think they're really fucked up people. She does have a demonic face. Yeah, she does. Like, especially in that movie Bully, I kind of believed it because she seems like a real piece of crap. Yeah. You know that special <laughs> effect at the end of Paranormal Activity? Yeah. Where the girl turns into a demon and yeah. smiles? That's how Bijou looks all the time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I... She gave a very lame apology. He says, uh, you know, it it was okay, and he forgave her, which is very nice of him, actually, to say something like that. I would never forgive her. She's kicking me in the head like that and saying shit like that to me. He could have gotten a concussion. Yeah. Um, So anyway, yeah. So that Brad Renfro is somewhere in all this trying to help he, his yeah. friend out. He's probably also on drugs though. And I, I'm sure Bijou is probably feeding him who's already an addict a lot of drugs and not helping the situation with Brad. Yeah. I can of course he was on drugs because I think this is the same summer. In fact he was arrested during filming for trying to steal a yacht. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well he got he had been arrested a bunch of times by this time. So up to this point he's like not even twenty yet. Uh, he gets arrested in June 3rd, 1998. Him and his 19-year-old cousin were arrested and charged with drug possession. He got busted with two small bags of cocaine in a cigarette box and a bag of marijuana. Um, yeah, he went to rehab twice by the time he was 18. August 2000, he gets arrested for trying to steal a yacht, like you were saying, in, in Fort Lauderdale, of all places. Um, and I heard that it was because some girls he met, Yeah, they were being paid by millionaires to oh really? you know that whole yachting thing oh yeah and apparently yeah. they stiffed the girls and so brad renfro was partying with them and they decided to steal the yacht oh my god <laughs> and another client of theirs was jeffrey epstein what who, who did pay them oh man yeah he's not a fake fact no this is a blind item oh gotcha yeah, wow. so we, we, we count that as fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, here. but yeah. it's a fact that he tried to steal the yacht. This is yeah. just the backstory that there are whispers about. But it also just leads to the story of Brad just going towards the worst possible situation whenever he gets messed up. He's mm-hmm. just doing bad things. Uh, Very he's true. constantly violating his probation, getting caught underage, drinking left and right. Um, he gets a DUI in Knoxville in 2002. He goes back into rehab. And this is all while still working a lot. Like mm-hmm. he does this movie that we love called Ghost World in 2001, which is, you know, with Scarlett Johansson and Thor Birch. Great movie. Great movie. Scarlett Johansson's first movie, Thor Birch, I think, had done American Beauty before that. She had in a bunch of other movies like Hocus Pocus. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson, too, was a young child actress. She was, yeah. Horse Whisperer. And, uh, and Lost in Translation, I didn't know she was 17. Uh, okay. In that opening yeah. scene. Have we talked about that before? We did, okay, briefly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. the opening shot. Yeah. Sophia Coppola's kind of messed up, if you think about it. I mean, <laughs> she said it was about her life, so maybe she, that's what made her feel better about it. But. And little known movie that Scarlett Johansson was in is North. Yeah. With Bryn Hartman and Eliza Wood. That's true. Yeah. Brit Hartman was the big uh, thing. The, yeah, the, she got that made. The name of <laughs> yeah, the credits. She got that, she got that greenlit. <laughs> For her one line. Yeah. <laughs> to John Lovitz. Sex on the beach? Yeah. 
watch our video. Yeah, you'll know please, what I'm talking please about. Do. Um, yeah, check out that whole episode. So he's quiet for a few years. Quiet in that he's not getting into a lot of trouble. Why mm. would you think that is? Ah, uh, well, in 2003, uh, Brad becomes a father. What? We didn't know about this until after his death, but he does uh, have a Japanese girlfriend, and the kid's name is Yamato Renfro, born in 2003. Wow. I like that, Yamato Renfro. No one knows the exact name or identity of the mother, but she's from Japan, and she took Yamato back to Japan after Brad died, oh. and that's where Yamato uh, was raised. And I think Yamato would be around 20 years old right now. And word is that Yamato's back in the U.S. living somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Yamato here. Yeah, Yamato, motherfucker. Yamato here. Yamato here. Hey, Yamato, this guy out of here. I, not to quote Johnny Carson, I did not know that. Yeah, I, I, that is weird, wild yeah, stuff. That he, that he had a son. Right, Ed? Wow, Johnny, I didn't know he had a son. Japanese. Y- Yamato killed your father. Yamato. <laughs> um, that's an evil epic man. Uh, coming back. Why not? So 2005, though, he's back to his old antics. November 2005, DUI for driving with a suspended license. Mm. Does 10 days in jail. December 2005, arrested in a sweep on Skid Row for trying to possess heroin. Uh, He also charged with possession because he already had it, but he was also just buying more, I guess. On Skid Row, though. That's like, you don't have anybody that has a house? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, why do the police just go down there and just bust people for buying drugs? You know, like, why? Yeah. Yeah. I think he must have burned all his bridges or something because there is yet another rumor that in his heyday in the early 2000s that at a Hollywood club, he just refused to pay the drug dealer. That makes sense then why he would eventually be going to Skid Row. Yeah. Because he had probably stiffed too many drug dealers. Yeah, he probably pissed off every one of those high-end drug dealers on the west side or something, Oof. and now he's got to go all the way down. Well, that's what happened with Harris Whittles, too. So at some point, you know, the dealers are just like, yeah, I'm not, you're too far gone. Yeah. I can't deal with you anymore. Yeah, when dealers have a conscience, yeah. you know you're far gone. You might be an <laughs> addict. <laughs> so, May 2006, DUI, heroin possession. June 2007, Brad is found to have violated his probation by failing to enroll in a long-term drug program. And a judge warned him if he does it two more times, he's going to prison. So I guess two more times. Yeah. What is that? The ten strikes law? Yeah. <laughs> the nine lives. The clause? judge was really easy on Brad, but I think he was just lenient because he like because Brad, you know, everyone liked him. You know, I I think that like a lot of people in these positions, he pleads, you know, for help from these people. Yeah. I think I think the judge was uh, Jeffrey Jones. Yes. Nine times, <laughs> and you're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, uh, like Brian Singer, maybe he wanted to hang out with him afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And like Jeffrey Jones, he wanted to hang out with him after. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. So maybe he just had a lot of people throughout his life that wanted a piece of him. Yeah, I more think, ways than one. I think yeah. I heard one person describe Brian Singer wanted the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I heard one person describe that he uh, didn't know how to set boundaries because of bad relationships with his parents or no relationship with his parents. Yeah, it makes because, sense. Yeah, it's like you have you don't your parents are never around. You you're getting raised by a grandmother in a trailer. Yeah, uh, there's especially with her probably being gone a lot. Would you rather be in a trailer or in a nice like perfectly made church? So. 
he probably had nobody around ever and just had no idea what a real relationship was. Well, that until up- Joel Schumacher came knocking. Yeah. Well, that brings up a great point, Kyle, because that's what the dare officer that actually helped him get discovered said. He said, I'm either doing the best thing for Brad or the worst thing for Brad right now when he got him the client. Yeah. But who's to say that he wouldn't have got into all this trouble anyway? Because he was already on a bad path. Yeah. Doing heroin at 11. We're in 2007 now. So his career has kind of bottomed out. He's not really getting those young heartthrob roles anymore. He's doing like shitty roles just basically to feed his habit. But he's working a lot. He does a movie called Hollywood Files, uh, The Jacket, Tenth and Wolf, whatever the hell that is. I I think. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be confused with the movie Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Jack Nicholson, Dennis Hopper's intended wolf with him and actually says like, yeah, he's an addict, but you know, he's a really good kid. And that, you know, I had my days also and kind of equating it to how Dennis Hopper was back in the day. So, you know, it's a good movie when it's a late stage Dennis Hopper (laughs) joint. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and Wolf, James Marsden, Giovanni Rabisi, Brad Renfro, Dennis Hopper, Piper Parabo and Val Kilmer. Parabu. Parabu. Yeah. She's, She's a, from Coyote, Coyote Ugly. Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> but Brad is also doing crap. Like, he does a Law and Order Criminal Intent episode. Like, that is that's a, crazy. That's, oh, that, he, you're done at this point, dude. Yeah, that is. You do not go from the client and bully yeah. to Law and Fourth Order. Fourth on the call sheet of a Law and Order Criminal Intent oh, episode. That's not God. good, man. That's not good. I mean, Charles Rocket literally killed himself after law and order (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) it's not to make light of it but well we'll get in there but dick wolf has blood on his ass but he's just trying to be nice he's giving everyone a role yeah later in their career he did this movie called the informers and the first ad who actually worked on app pupil this guy named fernando alchel i think i'm pronouncing that right he gets a look at brad renfro when he shows up there and he's like holy fucking shit He's like, I knew this guy was like uh, having some bad days, but Jesus Christ. I guess Brad at this time was not, not only- that he's judging. Not that he's judging. Holy <laughs> Christ. <Yeah. laughs> hey, Brad, nice to see you. Holy shit. <laughs> hey, Brad, it's been so long. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who the fuck is that? Ah, ah. He's like uh, Sam Kinison. Ah. <laughs> How about Brad Rano? Oh, <laughs> oh, so bad, <laughs> so awful. Um, well, yeah, it's just. Well, th- this is the thing. Yeah, Brad was lighthearted about it. He's like, he said, "I put down the heroin spoon and I picked up the fork." And that was nice. his big joke that he told him to kind of like ease the tension of his tough appearance. Weight gain. Weight gain. Yeah, he did put on a couple pounds. Which could have been a good sign, actually. Usually you'd think so, yeah. And that means, you know, you're working the heroin out of your system, you're getting your appetite back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you're replacing one addiction for another. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what happened with Corey Haim, for sure. Like, he would get off and on, but he was kind of bloated towards... The end, the yeah. End. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe... If you get off it and then go right back into it and you don't realize what your tolerance level is, it gets a little dangerous. Yeah. So, yeah, these are not the good days for Brad. Um, No. Should we hear that interview from October 2007? Sure. Yeah. This is his last interview on camera, apparently. 
Hi, I'm Brad Renfro, <laughs> and you're watching Portable Hollywood. Portable the Hollywood. advice I have for people who want to get this into music. Acting, numeral uno, check your motives for wanting to get into it. It's a lot of work. Very few people are fortunate enough to not really have an appreciation for the craft and still make money. There's so much competition. It's really just about persistence. You gotta just keep at it. If I'm two inches too short, you know, the role probably goes to the other guy, so you have to really learn to be just secure with yourself and know that rejection is part of it. Don't mind the techno crap um, in the background. Yeah, what is up with that? Yeah, that was... There's a little more, though. Without, <laughs> That's so inappropriate. Without the music, there's a little ending there. Um, This is going to sound silly, man, but, you know... Or actually, it's not. I would tell him, you know, to stay the hell away from, like, uh, the party scene. Anything you put in front of your goal, and especially something like that, whether it's too much gambling, too much food, you know, too many, too many, too much cold beers on the weekend, anything you put in front of the prize, so to speak, is gonna, it's gonna end up getting in the way and hurting you in the end. Unfortunately, not many people are lucky enough to traverse through things like that and, and come out on the other side, you know, and a, a lot of people don't make it. They don't live through it. Yeah. Well, that, no better time to say it than um, January 15th, 2008. Brad is found by his girlfriend dead in his Los Angeles home. He was 25 years old. 25? Yeah. 25. In that, like, that's the time your career's like, feels like it's winding down or done. And it's, it's, it shouldn't be the case because he should have had like 40 more years of career left i mean i know we've gotten yelled at for uh speaking about people's appearance but it that last interview i would have thought he was at least 35 yeah i can't believe yeah 25 that's That's a good point but he always he always seemed like an older person because he did carry himself he had to grow up so much i think that's the similar way mark's way in the client was he had to grow up so much quicker in order to survive or like in order for his family to survive. Mm. Yeah, 11, 12 in the client, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. Because he carries that whole movie and it's him and Susan Sarandon, their rapport. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones is just kind of in the background. But those two, they carry that film. Yeah. Yeah, and if you believe that, you believe the entire movie. Exactly. And it really it works makes it work. Yeah. Based on him. Um. So the... L.A. County Coroner's Office ruled the death accidental, attributed to acute heroin and morphine intoxication. Jeez. He was buried at Red House Cemetery in the small community of Blaine, Tennessee, on February 8th, 2008. Damn. Yeah, that's really sad. His grandmother, who raised him, Joanne, she died 17 17 days later. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's one of those things you hear about all the time when another family member yeah. dies shortly after. Maybe she just felt like she had to still take care of him and just be there for him. And then she that burden, I guess, got you know taken off her shoulders or something. Who knows? Yeah, like when Debbie Reynolds died right yeah. after Carrie Fisher. That was interesting. Yeah, and then Renfro's mother, uh, Angela Olsen, died March 2nd, 2012, at the age of 50. So... I don't know what the cause of death there was. It doesn't seem like it was good, though. No. Yeah. Wow. And the dad is still around? The dad is still alive, as far as we know. Yeah. Who cares, right? Out of the picture, yeah. Who cares? Maybe he's still in the factory. 
I guess Brad auditioned. <laughs> yeah. I guess Brad auditioned for the part that Heath Ledger got in the movie The Patriot. Mm. Oh, okay. And coincidentally, they died exactly one week apart in January 2008. Wow, that's cra- that is crazy. Yeah, there was a lot of weird deaths around, you know. I, I think it was just like the last... You don't see a lot of actors these days like dying of overdoses and stuff anymore, do you? Or maybe they're just like not big movie stars anymore. I think that's it. There's not as big a movie stars anymore. They don't, they don't go out. They're not trying to find the next Brad Renfro these days. They just don't care. They just want to put some celebrity or something or some celebrity's kid who is, is by default a celebrity also in a movie or something. Or Timothy Chalamet. Or Timothy Chalamet. He would have been Where the, the hell is that kid in the from? client if yeah. they did it now. He would have, and it would have been just a, such a muted, boring version of that character. Yeah. <laughs> Joel Schumacher said that he broke the news to uh, Susan Sarandon. And she wrote a tribute to Renfro for Entertainment Weekly, saying he reminded her of a young James Dean. Yep. I have a post-death quote from Brian Singer. You guys want to hear this? Let's do it. All right. Brace yourself. I think he was troubled before he got to Hollywood. When there's enough drugs involved, it has less to do with Hollywood's pressures and more to do with the pressures of life. Yeah, which were you you were putting on him. Yeah, you were asshole. You were having underage kid orgies in front of the kid. Yeah. Oh yeah, yay. You're While feeding sh- him drugs. You made a shower that was scarier than Auschwitz. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very It's a tough task. <laughs> yeah, that's a large <laughs> undertaking. Yeah. I the balls on this fucking guy. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like to say something like that. Basically victim blaming this poor kid. Who was put a, you know put through this entire industry, especially him? Yeah, he was troubled before he came to my playpen. Yeah, I, yeah, he's <laughs> like poor kid never had a chance, <laughs> yeah. even though he was with me all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like what the fuck? He couldn't handle his meth or his whatever. Yeah, he, he couldn't never, handle everything I gave him. He never had the proper parental figure. Yeah, like just me. me. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what Brad looked up to him as, probably something like that. You know, like a parental figure, a warped of. parental figure, very warped, and that's why I, smart. Guy, I'm sure Brian Singer's a smart guy. I use the term chaos because it just feels like he was born into chaos, and yeah. that continued right on throughout pupil and totally. later. Yeah, it didn't get more normal. Um, and why don't we hear that clip of behind the scenes from Apt Pupil yeah. and see if we can sense anything in Brian Singer? Okay. I think the combining of the bright contemporary oh. youth with one of the greatest evils of history. In a contemporary suburban setting, just talking about himself. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you look in this film, the attention to detail is quite remarkable. Especially in the shower. One's very much in the hands of Brian, and I'm very happy to be so. I think he's got immaculate taste, and and he's very clear about what he wants. Taste and what? It's like we're all Kids. excited and into it. Wonderful director. So I had a great experience working with Brian. Don't it's the believe desire you. Desire to dig deeper. The thing with Brad is he's incredibly real. And when he came in for the first reading, he was Todd. Had that bright look of fascination, a sponge of curiosity. I knew Ian would bring it that other dimension. It's that seductive nature that is what keeps Todd there. Ugh. Yeah, let's come back. Um, Brad Renfro was omitted from the In Memoriam tribute montage at the 80th Academy Awards in the year following his death. That is outrageous. It was a snub. That's a big snub. Big snub. And he wasn't even a comedian. 
Wow. Yeah. Is that just Hollywood not wanting to face who they chewed up and spit out? Maybe that's it. I think so. Yeah. Brad Renfro's roommate, Mark Foster of Foster the People, the band, oh. uh, wrote a song about his death called Downtown. The song was included on a deluxe, deluxe edition of the band's 2011 debut album, Torches. I did not know that. All the young kicks in the boop boop fits. <laughs> Run. Do you remember that song? Yeah. Um, in, Wait, wasn't that their big one? Yeah. Okay. In 2012, the art magazine The Thing Quarterly reported that actor James Franco oh, boy. had the name Brad tattooed on his right shoulder in memory of Brad Renfro. Did they work together? I don't think so. Maybe in Deuce's Wild. Maybe Deuce's Wild, because that was, yeah, that was like- had a, a lot of cat. young yeah, actors, yeah. yeah. But still, that's a little much. You think he's just try- clout chasing there, like- me and Brad were brothers, and yeah, Jane Franco tries to seem like he has like some weird edge to him, or or like he thinks it's funny or or it's kooky, and everything he does is kind of like you know cool. That so you should be friends with him. I don't. I hate Jane Franco. <laughs> <laughs> well, so does everyone now. Yeah, I so. think yeah, that's the general consensus. Franco also produced a limited edition series of switchblades bearing the words Brad Renfro and Forever. It's like what? What? Yeah, get lost, man. Just go away. Pound sand. Yeah. Why don't you start in uh, an you know an acting school in hell and go down? <laughs> have fun. Oh man. Yeah. Go make another weird experimental short film. Yeah. Where someone's taking a shit on camera. <laughs> He's he did that. He reshot. I think. Like uh, the movie Cruising, the Friedkin one, for for no reason. And Friedkin's like, what the hell is that guy doing that for? <laughs> He's like, who would want to reshoot Cruising? I know. <laughs> who would even want to see Cruising? Al Pacino's like, hoo I'm Cruising. That was a bad experience working on that movie. <laughs> I don't give a flying fuck through a rolling donut. Yeah. I say it's a bad experience because uh, him and Friedkin butted heads. Yeah. yeah. But because... Al Pacino would show up three hours late every day. Whoops. Ooh, <laughs> I couldn't find the place. <laughs> You're talking about a guy's ass. <laughs> yeah. I got my head all the way up it. <laughs> he really did in he that really movie. Yeah. He goes way underground. Yeah. <laughs> that should have been the tagline. The leather underground. In this movie, Al Pacino goes way underground. Yeah. <laughs> Say hello to my love, huh? <laughs> all right. Well, final thoughts. Um, I think it is a cautionary tale for young Hollywood, if there is any young Hollywood left. <laughs> it's not even just young Hollywood. It's like, don't fuck your kid's life up because they're going to find the wrong things. Like, they're going to fall down the, the wrong path because it's so easy to take advantage of people who had no people to tell them what's right and wrong when they were growing up. Yeah. And I'm sure the grandma tried, but... That only goes so far. She could only do so much. Like, this kid was going nuts. Like, Mm -hmm. he was a wayward youth. Like, he was uh, reckless as hell. And, you know, what what is an older single woman going to do to really, you know, shape this kid? And when you're a 12-year-old giving interviews where you say, yeah, I've experimented with drugs in the past, talking like you're a 50-year-old. Yeah. 
That's not a good sign. Yeah, he sounds like Tom Waits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I experimented with some <laughs> drugs in the past. <laughs> oh, I had my days. Like, when? <laughs> and now I worship the devil. Jeez. <laughs> oh, that was a terrifying voice. This is like evil Tom Waits. I'd make bands like, hey, that's the scene on here. Our musical guest. <laughs> <laughs> How could you get more evil than regular Tom Waits? Yeah. <laughs> in an interview on Fresh Air, Terry Gross asked Tom Waits what the meaning of the song God's Away on Business is. Is it something about evil or the devil? And he's like, no, uh, God's just taking a vacation. He's away on business. That's all it means. He's coming back. Like, I wish I didn't ask. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to commercial. Oh, we don't do commercials. Uh, we're, yeah. we're going away. <laughs> and it's the, same, the, fuck guy, out of here. the <laughs> same guy who told David Letterman that he likes to watch a lot of TV, meaning turkey vultures in his backyard. Oh, God. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, anyway. Boo. All right, I love <laughs> Tom Waits. Good, good note to end that yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> I, I sink in this ship. Uh, Rest in peace, Brad Well, Renfro. Again, thank you very much, Danny Traeger, for um, for the suggestion and for helping me do some of the background work yeah. on uh, this, this death and some of the weird stuff that happened around Brad's career. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. For a mailbag, we got uh, a little bit uh, from... Daddy Big Dick 1934. All right. All right. Now we're talking. Give it to me. Give it to me, Daddy. <laughs> Left a comment on Disney Deaths, A Morbid Guide to the Happiest Place on Earth. Daddy Big Dick 1934 said to us, I likes what I hears. Great pod, and it's awesome that one of the hosts is the guy who plays Coach McGuirk from Home, home Movies, which I guess people are talking about me because we've got that a few times. Mm. Uh, John okay, Benjamin. So I don't hear it, but... John Benjamin? Yeah. This is just Kyle trying to uh, yeah, grab a little daddy more. daddy big dick. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, every time a new episode drops, I tell my family to shut the fuck up because it's death and entertainment time. P.S. I imagine every time a celebrity dies now, the death and entertainment hosts are sad for a second, then a giant Grinch grin slowly forms on their faces. <laughs> wow. What a well thought out review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and nailed it. Yeah. yeah. Spot on. Except for the Kyle stuff. Yeah. I don't hear the H. John Benjamin thing, but a lot of people do, apparently. Yeah. It's come up a few times the last... Uh, hey, now. You know, whatever. Kyle just wants you to know that. Yeah. Of course. That everyone thinks he's H. John Benjamin. Yeah, but I'm not. If you're listening, he's available for voiceover. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you can get Tom Waits, too, for an extra five bucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then... You're other overpaying. Than, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> other than that, go check us out on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. If you're not looking at us there, wherever you like to listen to all your podcasts, we got the audio up anywhere you can find it. Absolutely. And most importantly, Patreon. Yes. Yeah. Patreon. Uh, Go to our actual web address. Just type it in patreon.com slash death in entertainment because you can't find us in the search, apparently. And speaking of Disney deaths, you can hear the sequel to that episode, Disney Deaths 2, yeah. Land of the Damned. And what also are we going to have very soon? And we're going to do a Patreon right after this episode where we're going to look further into the real story of the movie Bully. Ooh. Don't want to miss that. So there you go. And until next time, don't go dying on us. Bye-bye. You have just heard... A true Hollywood... Shocker. I have never seen anything like this before. The movies, Broadway, music, television, all of it. A place that manufactures... Nightmares. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Good night.
Please drive home carefully and come back again soon.